From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. Well, we're going to go ahead and go and look at what's going on in Jacob's life. We've now turned the chapter. We're in chapter 28, and um, let's go ahead and just start reading. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padam Aran, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessings given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padam Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. So this is kind of like a precursor. This is like the, you know, the story of kind of where we are in the whole story. Um, so Jacob doesn't appear to be to talk about how his other son Esau wants to kill him, uh, and he's still continuing with the blessing, and so he sends him on his way. Uh, this is another blessing, but it's not as long. Uh, basically, may God give you descendants, may he make you fruitful and increase your numbers uh, until you become a community of, of people. So he's going to send Jacob on his way to his brother, to his un- to uncle Laban's house. And... Um, uh, may, you, may, you never, may he give you and your descendants a blessing so that you may take possession. So go there, increase in number, uh, and come back, take possession. And the other thing he says is don't marry a Canaanite woman. Now remember, Esau did do this. Esau married uh, Hittite women. He married women not of the, of the lineage of Abraham. He married outside of the lineage of Abraham. So Isaac is telling his son, marry inside the lineage. Go Go marry a descendant of Abraham. And the way you're going to do that is you're going to go to Laban. He's got daughters. Marry one of his daughters. Uh, And he's commanding him to do that. He commanded him to not marry a Canaanite woman. Why not? Well, because of, I don't know. Like, what's wrong with Canaanite women? I mean, obviously, there is something about Canaanite women that really bother uh, Jacob's mother, uh, Rebekah. Because when Esau marries outside of the clan, um, it does not go well for him. It's a sore spot for, for Jacob's parents, Rebekah and, and Isaac. Um, for some reason, they do not like Canaanite women. And uh, I don't know. I mean, you think in your head, like, are they, are they loose women? Are they, you know, what, what is it about these women that, that, that they don't like? And really, I mean... Probably what it is, uh, you know, more than anything, is that they're just not followers of the one true God of Abraham, I guess. That's, um, or who knows what it is. I mean, every, every mom wants the perfect women, you know, for her children or the, you know, perfect wife for their child. Uh, and probably no wife is going to be good enough for your child, right? I mean, that's just the way it is uh, for a mom. So, um, it, that could be part of it, and maybe maybe it's better just to go and you know at least find one of the tri- of the tribe or, or whatever. So, the command has come down from Isaac. You're gonna now marry a Canaanite. You're not gonna marry a Canaanite woman. You're gonna go marry a Abrahamic woman, 
And so um, Jacob has, who obviously is not married yet, his brother Esau has found two women already. You know, and they're they're married, but not not Jacob. And it's probably a good thing he's not married because it could have changed the whole dynamic of this story. But uh, Jacob now has his marching orders. I'm going to go to Padam Haran. I'm going to go stay with my uncle Laban. I'm going to grow up a little bit and I'm going to find a wife. And then I'm going to have descendants and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to be in charge of this land that was promised to Abraham and Isaac. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, basically, that's basically where we're going with this. And so Jacob is, is leaving home for the first time. And I, when, when you leave home for the first time, what goes through your mind, right? I mean, especially if it's a place you feel very comfortable with. When I went off to college, I never felt like it was a separation. Like I always knew that I was going to come back in the summertime. I was going to resume some of the friendships and the life that I had. Um, and that, but some people don't. Some people actually go off to college. And when they go off to college, uh, they never come back. Uh, they might come back one or two summers, but then that's it. I, uh, even in my own children, once they started getting to their junior or senior level in college, they found the friendships and the relationships back in college um, very fulfilling. Uh, and so they came back less and less uh, until they stopped coming back at all, right? I mean, and, and then they've grown up and then become their own people and they're on their own journey. And, um, you know, for parents, that's, that's really difficult um, because you, you want your kids to be in your life forever, right? But, and they are. I mean, they're in your life forever. But at some point, they have to separate from you so that they can continue to grow into the people that God wants them to be. And so you have to let them go. I mean, that's, that's one of the things you have to do is you have to let them become their own people, let them make their own mistakes. Um, you want to be there for them. You want to still continue to guide them. But by the time your kid has reached, you know, 18, 20 years old, you're, you're, you've pretty much instilled upon them, you know, what your, the majority of how they're going to end up in the rest of their life happens from age like, you know, zero to 18 with a huge emphasis being like up until seventh or eighth grade or something like that, right? I mean, how you raise your children until about seventh or eighth grade, it has the most tremendous impact on your children. Um, and then after that, it's less and less impact. And then when they go off to become their own, they're going to make their own mistakes uh, and you can help guide them as much as they ask for help. But basically your parenting job at that point is, um, you know, on an as needed basis or as, you know, as you see little corrections, you know, uh, but the vast majority of parenting is really done early on in life, right? I mean, even like I would say before six uh, is when parenting, you know, takes its its root. Uh, and and so be if you know somebody that's, you know, if you're, if you're a parent right now or you've got kids under six, understand that this is an important part of parenting is that that little age group. They're going to learn more about you and the world around them and the value system and all that um, uh, up until, you know, it, 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 it's big 
the smaller they are and it's less and less impact the, the, the older they get, I guess is maybe the way to say it. So I'm, I'm fidgeting with my nail clippers. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Um, so I need a fidget spinner because I've never had one, but um, apparently they're good to fidget with and people have to fidget. I fidget with all sorts of things, right? But today I'm fidgeting with, um, with my nail clippers. All right, so now Jacob is on his way. Um, there's one other thing uh, that I want to point out, but we'll, we'll look, read the next chapter and then we'll see, or the next section and see what happens. Uh, here we go, verse six. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Padam Aram to take a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padam Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaoth, Nebaioth, and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives that he already had. <laughs> so for some reason, now Esau realizes the mistake he made. Uh, he's already got two women. He's going to solve the problem by going and getting a third from uh, from uh, Uncle Uncle Nebaoth, I guess. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, surely he knew this. Um, he knew this going into. Uh, <laughs> Oh my goodness. So we have a saying, um, Jennifer and I, uh, this is, uh, this is what we do. So there's so much conflict that happens in life because the male sex drive is very, very strong. And, uh, particularly the younger you are, right? If you're in your 20, you know, teens, twenties, thirties or whatever, the sex drive is very, very, very strong. I mean, it's always strong, right? Because that's the way we're created. But, um, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, very, very strong, particularly in, in teens and 20s. And um, so we have this saying, whenever we're watching a show uh, on TV and some guy cannot control his sexual urges and he you know, causes all sorts of conflict uh, because of his lack of control of his sexual urges, we turn to each other and we say, you know, if he'd just keep it in his pants, he would have been okay on this. <laughs> That's what we say all the time. And, you know, it, it seems like we say this about 30 or 40 times a day. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, it is funny how, you know, so I'm thinking that, that Esau, you know, he was just very, you know, his, his drives were very strong. He had to go and find women to, to you know, but, but he realized later on in life that, he, you know, he should have at least paused for a minute and said, okay, who's the best woman for me? What do mom and dad want? Uh, you know, instead of going and getting two Canaanite women, you know, maybe you should have paused a little bit and asked mom and dad and then made the journey and gone up and found a, you know, a woman that mom and dad would have approved of. But no, because when you're Esau and it's all about, you know, um, killing animals and, and uh, you know, you don't think as much. Uh, I'm, I'm just, as we've learned about Esau, you know, he's not a thinker. He's, he's definitely a guy who goes out and thinks in the moment and, uh, not like his brother, Jacob, who's, you know, a little bit more cerebral. Um, if he'd have just thought about it for 10 seconds, if he just kept it in his pants and thought about it, he could have had less grief with mom and dad, but you know, he already got two women. Now he's going to go to get a third. 
So he goes out and gets an, a third wife. And, um, you know, we'll see how that goes for him. I, I do not want three wives. Uh, one wife is plenty for me. And there's harmony in the household when there's just one wife. There's peace in the household when there's one wife. Um, three wives, I don't know if I could handle three wives. I just, I'm pretty sure I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Yeah. So that's just me. Maybe you're different, but I doubt it. Women, you know, uh, I, I, I have been involved in a lot of teen girls in my, not involved. I mean, I've helped coach, helped counsel, helped uh, be a pastor to a lot of teen girls. And, you know, boys want to fight it out. Girls, uh, they're, they can be sneaky and deceitful and uh, they can hold a grudge for a long time and uh, they can get really, you just don't want, you don't want three wives. I'm just telling you, you don't want three wives. That's danger, Will Robinson, <laughs> right? So, oh goodness. All right, so now this is just a little story. Esau learned that his, you know, apparently his two wives upsetting mom and dad so he went and found another wife which is good good for you esau finally coming to the light and seeing the truth that was before you all along um i hope it goes well for you now we're going to go to the next story which is um jacob um so uh let's go ahead and read it jacob left beersheba and set out for haran when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. And then he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. So. One of the things, that, and this is, you know, this is Jacob's ladder, right? Um, so a couple things about this. One is that Jacob is by himself. And I find that so curious. I mean, I had to go back and read it a bunch of times and uh, look. Uh, because anytime anybody else left, often they were accompanied by an entourage of people. Remember, Abraham and Isaac are both very, very wealthy. They... When they travel, they don't travel alone. They travel with handmaidens and, and servants and animals and food uh, because traveling at that point is a very, very dangerous thing to do. You could be attacked by animals. You could be attacked by a band of marauding other, you know, other tribes or something like that. I mean, traveling out in the wilderness, while it's not all that dangerous, uh, is, is at some level with risk. I go out in the wilderness all the time by myself. And I really, with only a couple of times, have encountered things that I thought were dangerous. And most of the time for me, I know it's crazy, but it's a male javelina. Uh, 
javelina it looks like a pig but it's 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 a collared peccary it's actually closest animal is the hippopotamus and um it's a kind of a strange looking animal and they're they're tiny and you know you go to some places like uh, big bend national park if you go to big bend national park they're walking they're they're like domesticated you know but i have i have turned the corner or come upon a herd of javelina and the males you know, if they're frightened or whatever, and they want to protect their flock, they, 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 their hair stands up and they grunt and they look at you. And that's really kind of scary. Um, haven't seen anything else that scares me like the javelina. And the other thing is every once in a while, you'll see another human and you'll see another human that you're like, I don't think you belong here. I think you're like passing through. Um, and that's kind of scary too. Uh, but other than that, I've never really, you know, I've never really been frightened by mountain lions or bobcats or bears or, or, um, or some of the other animals that you have out in the wilderness. So, um, when Jacob goes out, you know, there's the potential that he could, it's a small potential, but that some animal could, you know, a rabbit animal would come and attack him. Uh, or it could be a marauding band of other humans that are going to attack him and, you know, leave him for dead. Um, you know, it doesn't have many possessions on him, so there'd be really no reason to attack him um, unless they wanted to, I guess, cannibalize him or something like that. That's kind of disgusting. But um, there is still some risk. And so traveling in that time, you, you'd want to take an entourage of people with you. Um, but for some reason, Jacob doesn't have anybody with him. You can tell. And I've looked through the story. I mean, it doesn't appear that anybody is with Jacob. He's by himself. I find that so curious. Like, why would Rebecca and Isaac send off their son by himself? Now, Esau goes out hunting all the time. He's got his quiver, he's got his bow, and, you know, he goes off by himself all the time to hunt. But you don't, you don't, and maybe Jacob is a hunter. Maybe, maybe he's got a little bit more fortitude than we know about. Or maybe Jacob, uh, is off by himself because his parents want him to go on a journey of self-discovery. And a journey of self-discovery is best done by yourself. Uh, one of the things that I'm going to do, if God grants it to me, is I'm going to hike the Arizona Trail. Um, it goes from the southern tip of Arizona to the northern parts of Arizona. You can hike it northbound, you can hike it southbound. It's 800 miles long. And um, if you hike on average 20 miles a day, it takes you 40 days. Um, and 20 miles a day is, is a fair clip. I mean, by the end of the 10th day, your, your feet are going to be sore and all that sort of thing. But um, the people that do this, they recommend that you do it by yourself. One is that nobody goes at your pace. But the second thing is, is that hiking the Arizona Trail is, to some people, a journey of self-discovery. And so um, I, I really, like I said, if God grants this to me, um, one of the things I just want to do more than anything in this world is to hike the Arizona Trail. Problem is, you know, it's 40 days. <laughs> and um, that's a long time to be away from, uh, you know, civilization, your wife, your grandkids, you know, your job. Um, so it probably will have to happen a lot later in life. And so that's why I say if God grants it to me. But one of these days, I would love to do a journey of self-discovery. And um, it is kind of scary because you could reach, you know, you could meet other people, you could meet other animals. 
Uh, you have to pack light and you have to pack smart because there's not necessarily water all along the way. So you have to plan where's the water and how would I spend the night and you know, would I sleep in a tent or would I just sleep out in the open? And you know, there could be rattlesnakes and critters and all that sort of thing. But I've spent the night out, you know, the open before. That's um, not really, I've never really been afraid of spending, spending night out in the open uh, outside of a tent. I mean, I've done that too. It is kind of cool to wake up in the morning and look up and see the sunrise or, you know, fall asleep with the stars. And um, it is, it is, there is something, I'll tell you this, that God, when he created mankind, he put him in the garden. Uh, you know, there was no shelter. He put him in the garden for a reason. It's because I think there's healing power in God's creation. And I think a journey of self-discovery of however how many days it's going to take, you know, just you and God and the wilderness is very, very, very powerful. I know that the uh, Australians, they would call it a walkabout, right? We're gonna, I'm gonna go on a walkabout. I'm gonna go go for 10 days or 20 days or something like that. Jesus went 40 days, right? Um, and he didn't eat for 40 days. So he just went 40 days in the wilderness uh, and didn't eat and he had an encounter, right? So there's just something about now, I, I don't think I could do the Arizona Trail and not eat for 40 days. Although that is an interesting, now that I think about it, that would be one way to uh, to get these last few pounds off of me because, you know, every last pound is very, very hard. Um, maybe that's the way to do it. Of course, it would, uh, uh, let's see, if I can do the quick calculation, two, 20 miles is about 2,000 calories, which is about a half a pound, so in 40 days you would lose 20 pounds um, just from the walking. Now, if you didn't eat, then you'd and you and I probably about 1,500 calories, so you'd about another 20 pounds or another 15. So 35, I'd have to have 35 pounds of fat on me to do it and not eat. <laughs> I don't have 35 pounds of fat on me, so I can't do that. But um, it would be it would be uh, it, it. That's why I do it in the morning because I, I get little bits of it. Um, little journeys of self-discovery. But I think, I think there is something to this. I, th I think this is a journey of self-discovery for Jacob. I, and I think it's planned that way. He has no people around him. He's going a long distance. His parents sent him to a certain place. Um, and it's going to be a long journey. And it's a journey where he has to stop periodically and pause and, and um, reflect. And that's what he did. You know, he, he let, leaves, he sets out, and he reaches a certain spot, and he stops for the night because the sun's coming down, and then he has an encounter with God. He has a dream in which he sees a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to the heaven. And the angels of God are going up and down the stairway. And there's God at the top, and he's speaking to him. And he says, I am the Lord your God, the God your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And then he repeats the blessing that he gave to Abraham and Isaac. He's like, I gave a blessing to Abraham, your grandfather. I gave a blessing to Isaac, your father. And now I'm giving, I, the Lord God, am giving this blessing to you. Everything that you see that I promised to Abraham and to Isaac now is coming to you. This is your land. And I am blessing you. And of course, you've got the angels going up and down this ladder. And you know, commentators have said, what is up with the angels going up and down the ladder, right? Um, it's just, 
it's just a bizarre dream and there's lots of different interpretations and uh, I've preached on this a couple times and I you know there is no exact interpretation of what this is of course the Christian church views Jacob's ladder as a precursor to Jesus right Jesus is the perfect angel if you will the messenger of God going up into the Holy Spirit going up and down the ladder um, to, to connect with mankind that that God is not a God up in the heavens, but that he comes up and down and interacts with his people. And that the angels, you know, are coming up and down. I mean, they got, God's not a, uh, a God of, he's not a static God like the deists believe that God created the earth and then he left it alone. No, in Jacob's dream, God created the earth and he's still sending his resources up and down to the earth. You know, the prayers are ascending, the resources are going down very huge visualization and then Jesus is that ultimate uh, up and down angel that God is sent to the earth to redeem the earth to show us God and then went back but then the Holy Spirit is still present going up and down that ladder um, that's how the Christians view this in it's kind of the it's this is could then be a precursor to that um, but but the big thing is is that Jacob is by himself out in the wilderness and he's having an encounter with God. And God is basically showing him that he's still a loving God, still active in the earth, and uh, still planning to give this, this blessing of land to Jacob. And we'll find out that Jacob has lots and lots of sons, lots and lots of offspring. And then they do conquer the land. I mean, it's the whole story of the Old Testament is how Jacob's sons become Israel and how they conquer the land and how, you know, they are conquered and they conquer and all that story. You know, this land was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God is confirming this to Jacob. So um, I guess, the, you know, the lesson for me here is that God is still active in this earth. He's still active in my life. When I go for my morning walks, I feel the presence of God. Um, sometimes it's in a big and powerful way. And uh, have you ever felt the presence of God when you've been out, you know, in the wilderness? Have you ever gone out in the wilderness? Have you ever just spent some time in his word or just in a garden or out in the wilderness or just reflecting, you know, spending time and feeling the presence of God? Um, have you ever, have, has that ever happened to you? Um, and what do you do about that? That has happened to me many, many times in my life. I feel the presence of God. And uh, it's, sometimes it's overwhelming. Sometimes, you know, it's singing in a, a hymn. Um, sometimes it's a remembrance of something. I mean, God can come to you in a whole bunch of different ways at a whole bunch of different times. And they're just wonderful times. And I, I pray that God infuses you with his love and his grace and his presence periodically because those are the ones. He can't do it all the time, right? He, it, it's a mountaintop experience. He can only do it, you know, when he does it, when and if he does it. But, um, and it can't be all the time because, you know, that you can't really, it, it's never set apart unless it's something set apart. So something that happens just rarely or, you know, once in a while it's special because it only happens rarely and once in a while. Um, and so that's why it doesn't happen all the time. But um, it's something that uh, when God reveals 
himself to you in a very powerful and meaningful way. It is very powerful and meaningful, right? Um, so anyway, I guess we'll leave it there. Um, we're going to pick up the story again because Jacob, now that he's had this encounter in this dream with God, we'll see what he does. And we'll see if he grows from it. And we'll see what happens in Jacob's life. But um, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks for joining me this morning. We'll close in prayer. Dear God, uh, thank you for your presence in our life. Whether or not we know or feel your presence, we know that you are present with us all time because we are your precious children and we've, we've been called into your kingdom. And for that, we thank and praise you. Be with us this day and keep us safe until we meet tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.